Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Civics Podcast, where we explore how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry, and it has been a heated week here in the nation's capital and in a lot of our communities around the country. There were basically four kinds of senators this week. There were the senators that were going to support the Better Care Reconciliation Act of 2017, uh, more popularly known as the Senate Republican Health Plan. There were senators who thought that it was a step in the right direction, but it didn't go far enough. There were senators who thought it was a step in the right direction, but it went way too far. And then there were senators who didn't agree with its approach at all. Anyone in the country who has been following politics and staying engaged with the healthcare debate can probably pretty easily be dropped into one of those four groups as well. And that's fine, but the difficulty comes when we realize that every one of those groups is really angry at the three others. It's hard to imagine how that kind of anger and mutual frustration can translate into seeing any kind of policy get passed that actually leads to better outcomes for more people. We'll come back to this later on in this week's episode, but first, I want to share with you a conversation I had a couple weeks ago with Pastor Chuck Garriott. Chuck has been a pastor for 40 years, and he's spent over half that time ministering to men and women who work in government. He was originally a pastor of a local church in Oklahoma City, and in the wake of the Oklahoma City bombing, he started ministering to a lot of uh, the people who worked in the state government and worked in the state capital there. Eventually, that ministry grew, and he's now the director of an organization called Ministry to State that serves men and women working in Washington, D.C., and in state capitals around the country, and in national capitals around the world. A few weeks ago, I sat down with Chuck, and we had a conversation about some of the things he's learned about our political process and about the people who work in it through his ministry. So I'm going to toss this over to that conversation now, and then we'll come back and talk and think and pray a little bit about what some of the things we discussed there might mean for how we react to weeks like this one on Capitol Hill. All right, let's jump right into it. Uh, You've been working with people who work in politics and government for 22 years now is when you just... um, when you started moving into ministering to people in state government in Oklahoma. Yeah, that's that's right. About uh, that long, we um, we were living in Oklahoma City, where I was pastoring at Heritage Presbyterian Church. And during those years, I got involved with a small group of guys that met for a Bible study at the state capitol. They were attorneys, uh, one of which was one of the assistant attorney generals, in those days, and he had invited me to be involved, and that's what started it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is, over the course of this time, what has surprised you most about serving people who work in government or people who work in politics? Mm, that's a good question. When I got involved with people 
who serve in different government spheres, like initially with the state government, uh, that was a whole new experience for me. And I would probably say that to a great extent, it's not terribly different than any other kind of workplace. There's still the same dynamics. People have supervisors and somebody is over them somewhere or the other. If it's not an, a manager or what have you, it may be the constituents, right? There's always somebody that people are answering to. So in that regards, maybe that's a little bit different. It's a, it's a different uh, game, you might say, uh, and different expectations. But the needs to a great extent are the same. People are the same, whether they're in government or not in government. Uh, and so even though the pressures may be different, meaning that if you're an elected uh, official, elected public servant, uh, you're, you're trying to find your footing. That surprised me, meaning that when I was first working with people in the state government, some would tell me that it takes them four or five years before they really understand the system well enough. And the system, I would say, is very complex. And people uh, find that initially they're a little bit confused by that. So I would say that would be one dynamic. In many other places of work, people catch on pretty quick. They've had training, what have you. But uh, in government, people need quite a bit of time to really learn what it takes for them to serve uh, their constituents well. So that might be one way of answering it. Um, especially, I'm struck by the notion of needing to get reelected after two years when you were saying it generally takes anywhere from four to five to feel like you really have your feet under you in a government position. I think one of the things that I'll hear from new members on the Hill is that they'll share with me that they, they didn't realize that the system run, ran the way that it does that they were, in essence, um, um, kept from having the conversation and the dialogue that they thought would be a natural part. But if you're on the house, if you're in the house here in Washington D.C., you're one of 435. That's uh, that's a pretty low uh, percentage, so to speak, in regards to influence. And unless you're in leadership, you realize that you're not worth that much. Hmm. So. Uh, I think those are kinds of things that a lot of people don't realize until they get here. And and uh, if uh, if you ever have the opportunity to sit down with someone who's a newly elected member of either the House or the Senate, that is someone who's never served before uh, on in Capitol Hill, you'll find that they have all kinds of backgrounds. You know, some are plumbers, some are some you know uh, just haven't done that much for whatever reason. Others are teachers or attorneys, et cetera. Most of them have some understanding of systems, but they don't have any education. There, it doesn't, you know, no one says that you have to be, uh, you have to have certain qualification to run for office in regards to education. So people come into the system not knowing uh, very much at all. And I think that's one of the unique aspects. There's no trade school to learn the ins and outs of being a Congress member. No, not at all. And for that reason, it takes all the, uh, all the more time for them to really understand the systems. For listeners to know, I've known Chuck for a few years now. And the first time we ever had a conversation, you said something that really pierced me to the core, where you said that um, you realized very quickly that there's n- 
there are very few people in the lives of elected officials who aren't asking for something or trying to get something through their conversations with them. Um, so I guess I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you've seen people react when they finally realize that your ministry is there to care for them. Um, how do they respond to that? I think that is an important distinction where people understand that you're there for them and you're not there for the policy issues and other aspects because just about 99% of any uh, of all those, I should say, who are walking in the door want something and their staff understands that and uh, they know that's just how it works. So for you to present yourself as someone who is there to serve them, especially when it comes to the gospel, is a bit of a unique relationship. Over the course of your ministry, you've published a few books on faith and government. You edited a book called Rulers, Gospel and Government, and you wrote Obama Prayer, and then you've recently released a revised and updated edition called Prayers for Trump. And I want to talk about those last two books for a moment. They're basically case studies in how we can honorably and responsibly and biblically pray for uh, people who work in government. Uh, They use the president as a case study in following the Bible's commands to pray for those who are entrusted with authority. For anyone who hasn't read those books or used one of them yet, uh, what's the biggest takeaway you want people to come away from those books with? Well, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you two. One is I would no. like them to pray. <laughs> I would like them to be serious about praying. And one of the means that I use to pray for the president you know, of uh, this present administration and for other members on the Hill is I use my walking time. One of the great things about D.C. is you spend a lot of time walking uh, to get a bus, to I catch the metro or whatever, and I try to utilize that time to pray specifically for those in the government here. Uh, So that's one dynamic, uh, the fact that they would just pray. But secondly, that they would pray biblically. And I believe that the scriptures provide a lot of guidance for us when we pray, and we can pray with confidence in knowing the mind of God if we use his word. And so hopefully when people look at Obama prayer or they look at prayers for Trump, they'll think uh, more about the scriptures that have guided each of those petitions and chapters, and they'll utilize those. We're a few months into the new administration now. We're recording this in June. Uh, I know that over the last few years across the country, as I've been talking to pastors about helping disciple and navigate their congregants through uh, the public square. I've heard a lot of uh, reports back that politics has always been polarizing in their communities and in their congregations, but it feels different somehow through this last election cycle and now into this new administration. And so I guess I'd like to just hear a little bit from you about in what ways, um, if you're able to share does your mission field feel the same as it ever has? And in what ways is it different? 
I would say that it feels very different to me, that it feels surprisingly different, meaning that I had no way of thinking through all the different dynamics and ramifications that I would uh, be hearing or experiencing here in Washington. And what I mean by that is the uh, president administration, uh, President Trump, uh, does not have a political background. Now, I think that's probably good in certain ways that someone would come into an environment that is very political and people typically that are here have that kind of background. So that's not bad in of itself, but for whatever reason, as things have unfolded, there has been generated a lot of uncertainty in regards to positions and to the future of uh, people's uh, positions in terms of different areas of agencies. So the, some of the friends that I work with in various agencies, and that would be everything from commerce to the State Department, that there's a lot of positions that haven't been filled yet, that there's uh, challenges in regards to getting these positions filled, which means that there's a lot of wait and see. And I don't believe I've ever seen that degree of wait and see that I'm experience or that I'm hearing about now. And that creates just a very different work environment. So to me, that uh, would be a concern. And I think that as people pray for their government, that they would pray for true stability and for good uh, administration in regards to how uh, things are are carried out. The, the government that we have as a country is a complex, uh, very dynamic uh, government, like any government would be. But uh, it is also used to a very definite way of functioning. And what's being experienced presently in the last three or four months is very different than that. So I see a lot of people who have a great deal of angst and concern about their future, and they don't really know how to think about it because of the way in which things are being uh, carried out. So it sounds like you've uh, broken that, you kind of wrapped two things up in there. One of one is angst about their own place and position, and the other is feeling like it's not, they might not necessarily be in work environments where they can do their best work right now. When you talk about doing good work in government, uh, from a Christian perspective or a biblical perspective, you could that could mean getting good laws passed, or it could mean conducting yourself well Christianly with kind of integrity and generosity and mercy and grace. Uh, but those two goals can probably for a lot of people feel like they're actually at odds with each other. It could feel like getting something done is made harder by behaving quote-unquote, Christianly, or behaving with pursuing that goal with integrity and generosity. How have you seen people in government, Christian or non-Christian alike, navigate that tension between trying to do something worthwhile and trying to conduct themselves honorably while they try to do it? I think there is a tension there because at the end of the day, my character and demonstrating biblical, godly character is critical. And I think we've seen any number of occasions where someone in office, maybe 
was successful in passing and having place into law of the land uh, some some uh, particular policy or what have you that they thought would be good for everybody. But the means that they used to accomplish that was such where people were uh, left uh, in um, uh, difficult positions, perhaps just because this person thought that no, the greater good uh, outdoes any means, so to speak, or, or poor means of getting something done. I think it's important for Christians who are serving, whether again they be elected servants or uh, serving the elected, that they conduct themselves in a way that at the end of the day, uh, their community would say, no, this person is uh, clearly demonstrating what it looks like to follow Christ in every way. And so the way in which they talk about others, the way in which they treat others who differ with them, uh, the way in which they conduct themselves in that public sphere is going to be very important. So I think character, a biblical character, is really critical and often lacking. And that means the way that we talk about other people uh, in, this, in the uh, public light, uh, meaning that if I disagree with somebody and I just rake them over the coals, that uh, that's very destructive, even if it may improve my standing with my constituents. What you're saying reminds me a lot of, kind of the classic pattern when something goes wrong or a mistake is made in Washington. The lower level you are and the less power you have in your office, the more likely you are to be the one who shoulders the blame publicly. Uh, almost kind of the inversion of the Christian narrative where the one with greatest power steps in and takes the blame for the one on the lowest end. To a degree in the U.S., our elected officials, our appointed officials, um, I know you have the book called Rulers, but to a, there's, to a degree, they're not necessarily the pharaohs of our country. They're the Josephs and the Daniels. And yes. uh, we, the citizens, are the pharaoh who appoints them and gives them the broad direction, and then they have to go kind of administer the kind of broad guidelines we gave them in election season, or we give them through constituent feedback. So if there's one thing, well, I'm going to say two things, because I have a feeling the number one answer is going to be prayer. But beyond prayer, if there's one thing you've seen that we as citizens can do to help foster an environment where the people you minister to can do better and more godly work, what would you say that is? So, number one is praying for them faithfully, and you've written some great guides on how to do that. What's number two? Well, I think uh, that for, and I'm going to speak in terms of the church, mm -hmm. I think that there's been the development over, over the years of a form of separation of church and state, meaning that Many of our friends uh, who are leaders within the church have taken on the position or the posture that they cannot or would not want to be involved in, the, in a political environment, and they see uh, much of government from a political side. So they say to themselves, we don't want to be as a church, and this is not true for everyone, but we don't want to see ourselves as a church uh, that is that is political. And so for that reason, you know, we're not in, except for maybe on occasion, even going to pray for those who are serving us. I think if the church were to spend more time reaching out to people in government in a healthy way, in a nonpartisan way, not that they would ignore the politics, and no one's asking people to ignore polit 
the political side of things, the, uh, the policy, what have you. But if the church were to do a better work of reaching out to their uh, leaders within the state, within the local government, or within the country, and let their elected uh, servants know that they're praying for them and that they're interested in them and that they want to know more about how they think and how they function, that that could have a significant impact upon what's happening in a place like Washington. Mm -hmm. And I think in most cases, what guys, uh, I'm sorry, what men and women will exp would experience is that there's this hesitancy from the church to really engage well with them. So they don't expect it, they don't even look for it. That was my interview with Pastor Charles Garriott, the founder and director of Ministry to State. I'm really grateful for his reminder that God has sent us into the public square, not just to get good laws passed, but to also make his character seen, make his mercy felt, make his grace understood by the people who work there. In a week like this, though, where there's just so much to be angry at, that's really hard to do. For the last couple of years, a professor named Aiton Hirsch has been talking about what he calls political hobbyism, kind of the ways in which we're likely to start thinking about politics and government more like a sport or a hobby, and less like, well, the work of building and maintaining a society together. Last year, he ran a survey comparing the way people think and feel about politics to the way they think and feel about baseball. He wrote an interesting article about the survey, and I want to take a minute to share his big takeaway. And we'll link to this article in the show notes on the website. But he said that, and I quote, Partisan polarization is often not about issues or ideology, but about social identity, teamsmanship, and feelings of who is in the in-group and who is in the out-group. When a survey researcher or a political campaign or a sportscaster encourages people to think and feel like a partisan, people will do so. That's true if the team is trying to win a World Series or trying to run a country. Democrats and Republicans will cheer, boo, emote, and say outlandish things because it's easier and more fun to think about politics in terms of us versus them, in terms of competition, just like with sports. That's the end of the quote. We're called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He's our prophet, he's our priest, he's our king. But during weeks like this one, this kind of political hobbyism, this kind of partisanship, makes it really easy for us to forget that we have priestly obligations here. In a climate that's as heated as this one, it's really easy to just be prophetic and just condemn people who are standing in the way of what we think of as better policy, to just kind of do the parts of the Christian life that line up with the partisanism, uh, and then tell ourselves that we've done the entirety of our duty. But this kind of polarized thinking is something that we have to work against. 
It's a hobby that we Christians probably have to give up. It's hard because we are swimming in a stew of it. And on some level, this kind of partisanship really does feel good. But it's a sacrifice we have to make. We don't have to make it just because letting ourselves think of our fellow citizens as nothing more than opposition makes it harder for us to actually get anything worthwhile done in the communities around us. And we don't have to stop it just because when we react to politics like a sporting event, it makes it harder to get good policy put in place. Even Christians who don't feel like they have an obligation to make God's peace and healing felt in their civic lives do have an obligation to encourage and support the people who are discipling people in every corner of the world, even people who are preaching and ministering in our state houses and in our national capital. When we treat politics like it's the Red Sox versus the Yankees, when we add to all of the noise, we make it harder for people who work in politics to hear the still, small voice of the Lord when it's shared with them. We make it harder for missionaries in the public square to do their missionary work. We're standing in the way of the gospel being heard. If you want to help use your position as a citizen to make the gospel seen and felt and understood by the people around you, by your friends, by your neighbors, by your fellow citizens, and by your public officials, then I really want to encourage you to sign up for our mailing list. We usually send out about two to four emails a month, and one of those emails every month is always going to uh, include some kind of action item you can take to put your faith into practice in your citizenship. So you can visit our website, christiancivics.org, and either click the banner at the top of the page to join our mailing list, or go to the Publications tab and select, uh, I think it says Newsletter or Mailing List or something like that. Uh, our next citizenship action item is going to be hitting your inbox next week in conjunction with the 4th of July celebration. Now, before we close this week, I want to invite you to join me in prayer. We try to close every podcast with prayer for our political and governmental processes, or for the effect that they're having on our churches, or for the spiritual health of the men and women who are working in government and politics and advocacy. And this week, we're going to uh, use it as the jumping off point for our prayer, one of the prayers from Pastor Garriott's latest book, Prayers for Trump. We're going to read Proverbs twenty four twenty one together. And then I'll lead us in a brief prayer. Fear the Lord and the King, my son, and do not join with the rebellious. Please join me in prayer. Our Father and King of Kings, your word informs us that there is only one Lord and Savior. There is one ruler of all. We acknowledge that you alone are sovereign over this world and universe. You are to receive our honor. You place all those in positions of authority in our nation and world. Help us to see what you see, 
and give us the grace to accept, respect, and honor your image as it appears in our elected officials. You have granted our elected officials their office for your glory. We pray that in every way they would acknowledge your presence as a gift. May they long for your word and desire to think and live by it. We pray that they would daily experience your grace and mercy as they carry out their roles in our government. Protect their staff and all the members of their teams and their campaigns and their volunteers and their interns from harm and deception. May they serve you and our country and our states and our communities well. And may we, your church, be faithful in praying regularly for our elected officials and their work. We ask all of these things in the name of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you enjoyed this week's episode, there are a few things you can do to dive deeper into it or help us carry this work forward. First, visit the Christian Civics blog. We're going to have some show notes up there for this episode that will include links to the books that we mentioned during the interview, as well as to the recent paper I mentioned by Professor Hirsch and the blog article he wrote last year about the survey he conducted on baseball and politics. Next, if you want to hear more from my interview with Pastor Garriott, there is more, and we're going to be including some excerpts from it in a bonus episode that we're sending out to our supporters next month. That excerpt is going to include Pastor Garriott sharing about how he's seen government officials respond to large-scale tragedies, and how their faith has informed their responses in their personal life and their public life. You really don't want to miss it. We're sending it out in July to all of our donors and supporters who've contributed to our work over the past year or so. If you want to get that episode, visit our website, christiancivics.org, and make a one-time or recurring donation. And we'll send it your way when it's ready in July. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. It'll really help more people learn about our work and our resources, and it will help bring more people into prayer with us. And that's our show for this week. I want to thank Pastor Chuck Garriott for being with us. I want to thank Sonic Weapon Fence for our theme music. If you want to learn more about the Center for Christian Civics and our work empowering the church to be lamps on stands across the political spectrum, then visit our website at christiancivics.org. If you have any questions or other topics you'd like to hear us cover in future episodes, go to that website and drop us a line on our contact page. Thank you very much for listening. We're looking forward to hearing from you, and we'll be back with a new episode in two weeks. Music